there are no accidents. No coincidences. And no escapes. Did it happen again? Did you see Todd die? What if it was our time? What if we were not meant to get off that plane? What if there is a design that it's not finished? By walking off the plane, you're cheating death. You have to figure out when it's coming back at you. Ladies and gentlemen, ghouls and goblins, welcome back to the B-Movie Podcast. I'm... Uh, your host, Adam Kautzer, and unfortunately today, again, um, Scott Phillips is not with us, your other co-host. He's actually deep, deep, deep into um, film festival coverage, covering a couple of more film festivals, uh, but he will be back. He has promised us uh, that he will be um, but today, rather than doing a one-shot, I felt like I wanted to do something that was a little bit more curated, but not kind of interfere or intervene into what me and Scott uh, have planned to cover. We didn't really have anything for Halloween per se. We had a, like, you know, we had kind of ideas, but we weren't sure whether or not he was going to be able to uh, make uh, Halloween or not, or, or be able to record. So I've come up with this solution. It's something that I feel like I've wanted to cover for a while, but I just never, it just never came to fruition. Um, as you can tell, reading the show notes, you probably see we're covering the Final Destination series. Um, something that is like, I, I kind of love this series. It's not kind of, I really do love this series. And I feel like like when I look at like, you know, horror, uh, horror Twitter or whatever you want to call it, like the social media version of horror, I don't see that uh, Final Destination is talked about all that much. And to me, I feel like I have a lot more love for the Final Destination series than I do for Saw, the Saw series. I know that I'm probably getting a lot of shit for that, but um I don't know. There's just something about it. Like, it's not heavy on mythology. We'll get into a little bit more about my love of it and kind of just kind of dissect the the five films that are out there and uh, kind of talk about what I love so much about it. But I don't see it talked about a lot in um, in social media. So I felt like it was like the perfect thing for the B-Movie podcast to tackle. Um, it's also this kind of apex for me of of gore and stunts that is kind of great. Like this is like, like a lot of the, a lot of the film, a lot of the big things in these films are like showcases for stunt work. And I mean, if you know anything about me, I love practical stunt work. It's something that I've always loved as a kid, since a kid, since I was a kid. I mean, like one of my favorite movies is if you guys didn't know, one of my favorite movies is, um, Hopper, um, and it's because it's about a stuntman. I mean, I like Tom Cruise. I feel like I came back into the Tom Fool, uh, Tom Fool, Tom Cruise fold when he began to start his like second half of his career as a stuntman slash actor, not or I'm sorry, stuntman slash star, and not just the star. Um, and it's because it's just like the physical you know near do death stuff is kind of amazing to me it always has been it always will be um whenever i see a practical effect it's true there's something about it that to me is it's always going to beat the 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 cgi even though the cgi is pretty like something well something about practical effects 
really kind of like, you know, it, it just still enchants me. It still takes me back to when I was a kid. Um, and the Final Destination movies like have that, uh, even though if you're not a if you're not a fan of these movies or you haven't seen them, uh, that's one of the things I think is a kicker for a lot of the people that are the fans of this uh, of this series. And so with that, let's kind of like talk about the films that we're going to be talking about. There are five Final Destination films. They work out to Final Destination, Final Destination 2. Final Destination 3, final, The Final Destination, which is Final Destination 4, and Final Destination 5. Uh, they're, all, uh, they're all a part of... What I like about it is that they're all a part of the same universe, and each one is kind of tangentially connected to one another. The first two are very hardcore, like they're... One and two in in every single way that you would think a one and a two is, um, it, it like is connective tissue. Even having one of the main stars be a part of the 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 second one, uh, but it's interesting how they only manage to connect these through certain specifics that aren't even like specifics. It's just about like incidents that happen. Uh, what I also like about it is that they, they follow a clear formula. Every single one of these fucking movies has the formula and it doesn't, it really doesn't deviate from it. Um, like the formula is as follows uh, a group of teens or 20 somethings are someplace, um, or going to someplace. And one of the said teens or 20 somethings gets a premonition of an impending accident that will kill them all. And then the, the teen 20 something freaks out causes them to not make whatever destination <laughs> you see what i did there um it causes them not to get to their destination but then the accident occurs and kills people um essentially fucking up death's plan and death's design so when they do that it causes a ripple effect that causes death to course correct. And what ends up happening is, is that death goes on to this mission to course correct via like Rube Goldberg style deaths for each of the people that should have died. And every single time the, the psychic slash premonition kid um, 20 something tries to stop it, tries to kind of go and intervene in a plan. Sometimes Tony Todd shows up as this, um, uh, coroner that may have the clues. He may also be the personification of death. You're never really told, which is really great. And fucking Tony Todd is like the MVP of this, uh, of this series because he shows up in, um, he shows up in four out of the five. Uh, the th and we'll get into what I mean by four out of the five. But uh, he he shows up and kind of gives direction, but not really. And these kids are all just kind of going on like they're just fuck it. Let's just try to figure this out. And they, they like the shit that they try to do is like literally fucking crazy. And by the end, we find out that, you know. There's no fucking escaping death. Are you fucking kidding me? You can try to trick it and stuff, but if your number is up, your number is up. Um, but it's it's really done in this 
in this way that feels it's supernatural, but it never it never feels like it's super serious or anything like that. It's just like they they it's very overheated, but it, you're not ever supposed to take it seriously, of course. I mean, the main reason why you're there is to see the elaborate Rube Goldberg sets, set pieces that, like, end up with people being killed and murdered in very different, various different ways. It's, it's essentially death as a slasher film, and, um, as the series had gone on, it got more and more elaborate, and, uh, more and more, uh, what I feel is fun. Um, so like kind of let's get into the first two. Um, so you got final destination and final destination two. So final destination, like they're, they're interconnected because of Allie Lauder's character. I'm not going to ruin anything in regards to that, but basically final destination is, you know, like the setup says it's you know, like there, there's a bunch of high school kids that are going to go to a trip uh, uh, on a trip to Europe uh, that's very important for something else that ends up connecting all six or I'm sorry, all five. But uh, basically. Kid gets a premonition that a plane, the plane is going to blow up that he's on. He freaks out, gets some of the people kicked off from his high school, including him. And then in the background, you see airplane blows up. But before that, you get to see the whole thing play out Um in his premonition. And that's something that's a big trope in these series is that each and every single one of these shows what could have happened. And it's just an excuse for like just great stunt work. Um, the same thing happens in the second one. Um, and we'll get to that in a second, but basically in this one, it's an air, it's an airplane takeoff that there are some issues and it blows up and dies terrible. Uh, everybody dies terribly. So, after the whole investigation of the plane crash and all that, that's when death starts trying to take these kids back. And like what I love about these movies and all of them is I, I cannot state this enough. All of these fucking people that are on screen are terrible. You fucking just don't like them at all. Like even like the, the Devin Sawa and Ali Lauder characters, you're just like, Oh God, these people are insufferable. And I think that it's made, these films are made like this because it allows you it allows you like the freedom to be like okay you know i can i can watch these people die in like horrible ways because they're awful people because it's this is film land you know this is a horror film and like the thing that i like about the first one is that there is this really interesting sense of discovery that happens in it like if you've never seen the first one there's no there's no formula the formula isn't formed until the second one like like they absolutely they knew what they were doing with the sequel. Um, but with the first one, it's like, it's, it's this kind of unique play on like death as a slasher. And can you get away from death? And it really does follow the slasher tropes very perfectly. Uh, even the, the quote unquote surprise ending. Uh, but, uh, the best part about the best part about the film is the section where Tony Todd shows up in the morgue because the kids go into the morgue to take a look at one of the, their, their friends who has recently died. And uh, Tony Todd just literally lays out the entire, what will eventually be the entire franchise, but basically the mythology, for death or death as a slasher in this uh in this series and 
major, major props to Tony Todd because, you know, fucking AKA Candyman is, he's the shit. And he knows, like in this film, he knows what he's doing. He knows that he's literally playing, like he's, he's literally playing like, like sort of like the Igor character. He's literally kind of like Peter Lorre in a lot of ways. Like there's, it's never like an, out and out one to one of Peter Lorre as Igor in or not not Peter Lorre as Igor. Peter Lorre never played Igor, but like the Igor character in um in Frankenstein or, or like a Peter Lorre type that kind of like you're not so sure about him uh, and he gives you a lot of information. And um you know, I really do kind of love that. Um like the first appearance is the best. Um of his because they kind of knew exactly the person he was. And it's my theory that I think that Tony Todd in final destination is the personification of death. And he's always giving them wrong information, um, or doing other things. Uh, so, but basically like, you know, once like the first 30 minutes is all the setup and like, you know, the navel gazing that would happen in these, it's filmed in Vancouver. So it's very dark and overcast. And, you know, you've got all these kids, these high school kids doing high school kid shit. Um, my favorite, one of my favorite parts about the film is like about two thirds of the way through Kerr Smith, who plays, a who plays one of the high school kids. He's the tough guy. He's the guy that has emotional, like he's emotional and, um, he's in his like 68 Camaro, which can we just take a side note and ask who the fuck that a fucking kid has a six, a, a completely restored 68 Camaro. I mean, I'm serious. Like what the fuck? Like, fuck you. If you ever thought that that was going to be the case, it's never the case. But anyways, he's in his, he's in his, uh, he's in his Camaro with his girlfriend. And then he's so hardcore. He's listening to nine inch nails and he sees the Devin Sawa character. And literally like while listening to nine inch nails, like literally almost causes like murder, da- uh, death, destruction in the middle of the street like doing like like you know burnouts trying to get to Devon Sawa it's just it's one of my favorite parts and re-watching the first one it made me howl with laughter because it's like first he's listening to Nine Inch Nails which I mean I'm a huge fan of Nine Inch Nails but like it's literally late 90s early 2000s shorthand for a tough guy like emo kid like who who who's a little bit dangerous and just the fact that Kerr Smith is playing him is even funnier to me um but yeah like uh <laughs> it's it's a lot of fun the first one but I think the biggest part of that I take I take away from the first one especially if you're a first time watching it is it's a lot of fun because the director James Wong understood because he came from the X-Files he was a writer on the X-Files he kind of understood the mystery twilight zony kind of sweet spot for this for this movie and knew that not a lot of questions should be answered but questions should be prompted to leave it open just give a little bit of space and so like if you were to watch the first one and just watch it and then never watch the other ones i think that you would be satisfied because it's kind of like this this horror film that gives enough space to create a mythology in your head to give yourself a headcanon basically um and it's just it's it's also like really it's beautifully filmed to be perfectly honest like uh i mean it has it has that vancouver british columbia x-files trying to be like the, the 
like in this case, it's trying to be like Massachusetts, Massachusetts, New England area, but it's definitely um, a lot of fun. Um, it's a lot of fun watching it because it's it's just it's very interesting to see how how they um, they set everything up. But it's not really set up and not like like it's not for a sequel. It's just this kind of open air space. It's kind of great. Um, like you know, James Wong and and Glenn Morgan, um, his writing partner, um, did a lot of rewriting to the original Jeffrey Reddick script, but the scripts are all like, like the script is like, from what I understood in my research was kind of, uh, was based off of a, an X-Files, uh, an X-Files, like, like an episode of X-Files. Like he, he wrote it as like a spec for, uh, X-Files and basically it got rejected, but the, the premise was so strong that New Line purchased, like he reconfigured it and, and created a, um, like, you know, final destination. That's when like the ironic thing is, is that James Wong and Glenn Morgan, who were a writing duo were famous for X-Files. Um, they were like, like they were the, the guys, um, for, they were the guys for X-Files at, at a certain point. And it was definitely interesting that they, they came on. And then, of course, he, uh, James Wong, took on as director um, this this film. And it's just kind of interesting because it has a very X-Files vibe. Like, you could very, you could, like, like at any moment on the corner of the frames, you could see Mulder and Scully come into this this story or if it was a 30 minute black and white like you know black and white thing then you could all almost like at the beginning you could see fucking rod sterling smoking coming in and giving his uh, his like you know beautifully uh written intro or his beautifully written outro sitting there uh with his suit uh but that's what i kind of love about the final destination the first final destination is that it has that vibe but it also has like the vibe of a slasher horror horror film um the interesting thing is is that when you get to the second film uh it's taken over by david ellis who i fucking love davis david ellis's work uh he's he was primarily known as a stunt uh a stunt coordinator um his big thing was he did a lot of the stunt coordination not the fight choreography but the stunt coordination for the matrix films um specifically He's known for like, you know, what everybody considers like the really big uh, moment in Matrix Reloaded, which is the car chase. Uh, he did a, he did all of the stunt coordination for the Wachowskis on that. Um, and it makes complete sense when you see Final Destination 2, which has one of the most gruesome like opening 15 minute you know, like, and I think it's literally clocks in at like 10 or 15 minutes car accidents that happens. Um, th like it's so iconic that the first time I saw it literally tapped into a specific fear I have with big rig trucks towing something specific. I'm not going to ruin it for you guys because I mean, even though it's a 20 year old film, I feel like you should see this. And especially for the people that haven't, holy shit, this car accident is the thing. Like, it's like, I'm pretty sure that it's my fate. Like it's my favorite 
like my favorite stunt in the whole thing uh like in the whole series it's probably my favorite stunt scene or my favorite scene um and it's just the thing that two suffers from after that is that it's such a monumental like set piece like it's so it's so good it's edited so crisply and perfectly and it's executed just in the way that a stunt fan and a horror fan, which they could, you know, like you could commingle, but like if you just had a pure stunt fan and you had a pure horror fan sitting right next to one another watching this film, they would both be satisfied with that first 10 minutes because it's just, it's just good. It like they, they got it right. The problem I have with the second one is that everything else seems perfunctory in regards to it. Like it literally feels like they, when the first one came out and it was, it was a big hit because, okay. So like as, as an interesting side note, um, final destination was like a huge thing for me because I was a projectionist at the time the movie came out. And I don't, I cannot tell you how many times I watched that film. Like that's how many, like I must've, I, I mean, of course I projected it probably a hundred times, but I probably watched it like 20 or 30 times from start to finish, um, as a projectionist, just because it was so like, I loved it. It, it was in a sweet spot for me of horror um at the time and it it had like i said like it has like a very big twilight zone x-files vibe so like i'm a huge x-files and twilight zone fan i don't know if i've ever said that um but that's what kept me coming back to it that in the tony todd scene i fucking love tony todd like if i haven't like if you didn't know that before i think you fucking know it now um but with I don't think that they understood that what they had and they just kind of made this as a one-off and then they were like, oh shit, we need a fucking sequel for this fucking movie. And so they came up with this great Cracker Jack opening and just attached and applied the formula to that. Because I mean, it literally, even to the point of like, I'm pretty sure if you lined up these these films and you played them at the sync them to play them at the same time. I think that Tony Todd shows up at the same fucking time in the second one as he does in the first one. Um, I mean like so much so that they didn't, they didn't use a whole entire new group of people. They did, but they brought Allie Lauder back who you were pretty sure was fucking would have died by now. Death would have gotten her. Um, and like you know the same thing applies they're trying to move away from death's design um and it has like what i like about two is is that in part one the rube goldberg machine of death was there but i feel like in part two they 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 knew that that was something that people loved and they went extra extra with it it's the point in the third one is where it really kind of crystallizes, but in this next one, they really kind of played with the set pieces, making them longer than, making them not just for tension, but for comedy, um, to string things out. Like, some of these set pieces are like, you know, with the Final Destination, the first one, they're, some of them are only like, maybe like 60, 60 to 90 seconds, the, the second one. There's more like one or two minutes, like in the third one, it, it, it evolves into its final form, which a lot of these 
a lot of these deaths are like five minutes long. They're very, very fucking interest uh, intricate. Um, but damn that traffic jam. Like, like I, I like, I look at it and I, I still like, like my rewatch of it. I'm still like, fuck that thing is so fucking that's that, that scene is so fucking great. Um, it's probably the best of the openings of all, all three uh, of all five. And, it close in close second is the other David Ellis one. And we'll get to that one in a little bit. Uh, but yeah. And so two, I think suffers from too much of a sequelitis, but it's still good. And it still has like a great Tony Todd scene and moment. Um, uh, which leads us to part three where James Wong comes back as director. And I think that this one is where it finds its footing. It realizes the series that it is, and it doesn't need, a continuing mytho- mythology, it just needs an ever-expanding mythology where the barest of threads are held on to it. And uh, this one, the opening set piece is a roller coaster, um, and we have a new set of teens. None of the teens show up. The only unfortunate part about part three is that Tony Todd doesn't fucking show up, which I I'm really pissed off about, but... They at least do one thing that there's one thing that they do, which is they do give him a cameo, but it's not a traditional cameo. And you have to be very like I would almost say it's a subliminal cameo and you'd have to really have seen these films a couple of times and know who Tony Todd was to really catch the catch that moment. And so he's literally the PA voice over the uh oh like that's announcing things over the uh, like at the roller coaster ride that they all go on that's in question um and this is where i feel like it's part of the it like it's part of my theory that tony todd is really death like he he's really the personification of death is because of that um is because he shows up as that um, as that voice and nothing else, which is sad, um, uh, because I really feel like he should have been in the film. I think that that's the one thing that I feel like is, is a, is a, like, is something that they could have done, uh, the producers, which is added Tony Todd in all of the films to kind of make him the through line, not necessarily like him, the connective tissue, um, of this ever expanding mythology. Um, you know, uh, Winston is great actually. Like, like in these movies, I don't really care too much for the, the heroines or the heroes. I mean, it's more about watching, like, I know it sounds weird and depraved, but it's all about watching the set pieces, the, the, like the thing, the beauty about the final destination series that I feel is never really talked about is, is that it really kind of it delineates everything that you like about a slasher film and minimizes everything that you don't like. I've re- recently been rewatching the Friday the 13th films and the biggest thing that is my argument about them that's against them is the fact that the most interesting thing is Jason in those films. Nothing else is interesting. Like 
like you can sit there and talk through these films and they're so fucking weird because so many weird fucking things happen. These fucking kids are terrible. Uh, like the people that you're interacting with are doing weird things. I'm like in fucking part three of Friday the 13th, they have a pregnant girl who says that she's pregnant just like randomly. But then later on, she's fucking drinking beer. Like I know it's the fucking eighties and shit, but what the fuck? Um, I mean, that's the kind of fucking people that you're dealing with. But what I like about it is, is that it just, the final destination just says the final destination series says, we're giving you the ultimate slasher who is death. But then let's go ahead and add in the fact that, yeah, it's a bunch of kids, but we're going to make, we're, we're going to make like this all about, about the, the deaths, like the, the kill scenes, like, you know, what everybody loves in slasher films, especially Friday the 13th or even Saw, like what I, what I'm not fond, particularly fond of about the Saw series, other than the, you know, the, the grand guignol of it all is, is the highly complex timeline and fucking mythology that that's there. It's just like, holy shit, this is a lot of work. Where Final Destination doesn't do any of that. It just kind of gives you the good stuff. It's like a main line. Like, you know, it's like the main, like, it, it's like a main IV into your veins of all the good stuff about horror. And um, Final Destination 3 kind of figures that out. It figures out that you don't give a shit about these people. Though, like, you know, I will make the case that, like, you know, Mary Elizabeth Winstead in the third film is probably the the most charismatic of all the leads. Um, even though Devin Sawwell maybe uh comes in a second place, uh, but close to it. But uh Mary Elizabeth Winstead really holds the film together um as the person who sees the vision and you know, certain people get off the, the roller coaster. The roller coaster one, uh, the the set piece is is fun. It's just not it's not as memorable as some of these other ones that they do because like the car crash is huge. The the, the roller coaster, it just feels like it it feels like a downgrade after the traffic jam. Um and it's not as gruesome. Uh there's a little bit of like I have some issues like, like the tanning salon. I mean, do we really need that? I mean, I know people are going to say, Oh, well, it was the early aughts, but I mean, like these two people are like the people that are getting the, the tanning salon moment. It's like this Paris Hilton kind of thing. And then they show a lot of fucking nudity and it's just, but it's unnecessary. And it's just kind of like, okay, well, I guess. And then like them, like it's one of the most obvious of the kills in, in a, in a series that prides itself in being, a lot of fun with their kills and interesting with their kills and unexpected. Like you, for that one, you knew exactly what the fuck was going to happen with them. Um, and uh, again, I think three is important because it, it basically says this is what a final destination movie is going to be from this point forward. Like, like in, in like, it's almost like Friday the 13th part three where Jason gets his hockey mask the kids, uh, like the kids are away from like, you know, they're away from Crystal Lake, but they're not. Um, the setup is all the same. The formula that's there is like what becomes a classic Friday the 13th film or what we know and what we think of as Friday the 13th. Like Final Destination 3 is that kind of thing where it defines it. Uh, which brings us 
like okay so like i don't know i think that maybe four is my favorite um other than the original i mean i really do have love for the original um but i mean maybe three might be my favorite um it opens i think it opens with the second biggest um like you know death destruction murder set piece where they're at a nascar race <laughs> and all of the all of what that entails all the redneckness all the racismisms of it all um the big the big thing for the final destination is no tony todd uh what what's up guys why no tony todd like if if tony todd was had been in this movie I think that this would have been one of my favorites. Um, it was shot in 3D, but I don't have the 3D disc. Uh, it's a very expensive out-of-print disc, so I couldn't watch it in 3D, unfortunately. Um, Davis David Ellis does return for this sequel, and I think he's specifically brought back because of how like how iconic and memorable the car accident in the second one was. And here, like it, it's like all the stuff stuff that like it it's really like like a bigger budgeted version of the car accident though i don't necessarily know if it's better because there's a lot more cgi in this one but there's a lot of great anarchy in that that set piece um and it was probably a lot more complex to pull off but the kills in these are like I was saying, like these are like if people think about Final Destination, these are the these are the kills that they think about. I mean, like the one like one of my favorites is the like there's this like so the film um has Michael T. Williamson as a character. Um he plays a security guard at a NASCAR uh, like a, at the NASCAR race that the uh, the the main character played by Bobby o uh, Bobby Campo um saves uh and so like included in that group of people that were saved of course because it's a NASCAR rally is some kind of racist fuckbag right and so of course you know with the security guard and this racist there's going to be a couple of things that happen first they drop the n word which come on guys even back then it's like seriously dudes come on but you know of course that's the stereotype so of course they're going to go with that um but later on the racist is going to burn across in michael t williamson's front lawn and of course who's the first person that death wants to take is the racist of course and what occurs is probably one of the more funnier, like ironic, like this is where you know that they have, there's this tongue in cheek kind of aspect to it. And he gets exactly what you think that he's going to get. Um, and yeah, it's kind of, it's like one of the best kills in the film, but I mean, everything from the salon, the salon kill, uh, the chain link fence, car wash um the pool uh, uh the elevator uh or the escalator chewing and the theater blowing up i mean all of this all of these set pieces are like highly complex beautifully executed um set pieces things that i don't even like 
I don't, I can't even tell you how much fun they are because they are fun. Um, and it's almost like they understood, like, you know, what are like these, these people are, you know, it's like the, all of the kills are kind of ironic and meta in one way or another. Um, uh, what I also found funny was, is that the movie ends with characters going to see a 3d movie in 3d even and the film is shot in 3d uh so yeah like it, there's this whole extra layer of meta that they have in quote unquote the final destination which i also think is a truly meta um <laughs> title because of course it wasn't going to be the final destination because the movie made a shit ton of money so of course they're gonna have another final destination uh, which leads us to final destination 5 in 3d this time directed by somebody completely different steve quayle now before you say well what the hell happened well quayle is very much of the ellis school which is that he was a second unit director an action director specifically he was james cameron's second unit director uh and if that's not enough credentials for you b-movie fans he's also the director of american renegades a film that i really like that's very kind of it's very b-movie podcast worthy uh we may actually i might actually have to convince scott to to actually uh watch that one and we'll do a podcast onto that but more importantly he is the director of into the storm 3d which is basically the low-grade twister fucking movie that was filmed in 3d that um like you know is basically kind of like a final destination kind of riff but anyways steve quayle Definitely a director that is, uh, you know, uh, leaning towards the stunt choreography or the stunt coordination aspect of a filmmaking, which does help a lot in this film because it has the biggest opening of all of the Final Destinations and it's set on the suspension bridge. And of course, we have our uh, we have our setup, which is a little bit different because this time it's a bunch of like later 20 somethings uh that are working for a company that are going on a company retreat that is that their boss is headed by david keckner and let's be honest here when you watch this movie you definitely get the vibe that they're trying to go oh you know what we want the office version of final destination because it's literally what it is like they even have like the the two leads are basically pam and jim like you know riffs on pam and jim which fucking made me roll my fucking eyes and made me want like you know the the final ultimate thing to happen the interesting like the most interesting thing i feel like in this film is how it connects the whole entire series and makes it like this beautiful loop. I'm not going to ruin it, but what I am going to say is this much by the time you see, like by the time, like if you watch all of these in a row, there's something beautiful about the final, like 15 minutes of this movie, because you kind of can see where it's going. And uh, the first thing that'll give you pause is when Tony Todd comes back and like the the kind of way that he comes back and what he says 
it's a clue as to what's happening in Final Destination 5. And again, I won't ruin it. Like, you, you, those of you that have seen this, you know, you guys already fucking know. You know what this is about. Um, I also find it ironic that um, the final, like, you know, the fifth Destination movie is written by um, Eric Hessener, um, who's who's known, uh, who's primarily known to have written um, Arrival, uh, the Denny, Denny, oh, good Lord, the Denny Villeneuve uh, film, uh, which is, which is kind of ironic uh, in a lot of different ways, but uh, I'm not going to ruin that and the reason why it's irony. But it's needless to say, it's it's a strong film because of how it ties everything together. And um, the kills are good, but they're not great. I feel like after 4... Like, you couldn't really go really high. Like, you couldn't go any higher than, I think, like, like, uh, four with the kills. Because four with the kills, like, just, man, some of those, some of those fucking kills are great. Um, here it's like, I'm not going to say they're perfunctory, but some of the stuff here is literally like the almost random ideas it felt like even though there there's probably like seven thousand different things you could do but like especially the last thing that happens it kind of turns into this whole like standardized murder thing that i'm not really cool with but i mean then again like i wasn't really on board for the characters here again it gives off a very heavy office vibe and or the office with Pam and Jim and this whole fucking office thing. And it's just it's kind of like you you kind of look at it and you go, oh, OK, I mean, but then when you see the final end game of it, it kind of go you go, oh, OK, I get it. I get it. I, I like it. Um, the 3D is great, especially in the because I do have this one on 3D. It's one of the um, the like the ones that I could find at a relatively decent price because the these two like out of print they're cause they're out of print 3d blu-rays are literally like $150. So I found this one at a good price. I've not yet to find the fourth one at a good price. So I, I've actually never seen the fourth one projected in 3d or in 3d. The fifth one I did, I did get to see it in the theaters projected. Um, man, but those, uh, but, uh, but those, uh, that, that first opening scene on the suspension bridge, it is big. And you can see why they hired uh, Steve Quayle because he, like how like how he shoots the the stunts are very kind of like for scale. Like the way that Cameron uses, I think that one of the biggest, I think one of the the things that we don't talk about James Cameron enough about is his ability to correctly give you scale for the big screen. And I feel like that's something that Quayle either knew how to do or imitated so much it just became second nature for him because the the scale of the bridge is wow it's impressive um and how they accomplished it i literally was like this movie had to have cost at least 80 million to 90 million dollars and i found out that it was probably half that though 
you know, the way that Hollywood accounting goes, it's probably about 80 to 90 million it fucking cost. Um, it's all to say, it's really like, it's a great series that I feel like not enough people really, uh, really watch or even discuss online. And who knows, maybe I'm not looking at the right people, um, uh, that actually talk about final destination or, um, really do have a love for it. Uh, but needless to say, it's, I, I like, you know, if, if you're looking for something new at Halloween and you've not seen these, or maybe it's been 20 years since you've seen them, because I mean, you know, this series has been around for 20 plus years. Uh, maybe it's time for a revisit. Uh, I know that they've talked about making a sixth one, not a reboot, but a sixth one. Um, if IMDB is to be believed that, uh, Marcus Dunstan and Patrick Melton, the, uh, the writers, uh, the horror writers that, I know them for the collector series. Like I like, I know that a lot of people know them from scary, uh, scary stories that tell in the dark and other things, but I really like their one, two punch of the collector and the collection. Uh, those are some really awesome, uh, low budget, but high concept, uh, horror films that if you're not, if you're not somebody who's ever seen them, go ahead and check them out. But Dunstan and Melton, are supposedly working on a sixth installment, which means that it's not a reboot, but like a continuation. I hope that's the case. I would love to see a newer Final Destination movie, though who knows when we'll be able to see those. Um, but with that, guys, this wraps up this Halloween special edition of the B-Movie Podcast. You can reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, the podcast's uh, handles are B-Movie Pod. That's for both Twitter and Instagram. The letter B, the word movie, the word pod, all together, no lines, no dashes, no bullshit. You can also reach out to us, uh, or you can always look for our work on the movie aisle, uh, Twitter and Instagram. The The handles are the movie aisle, no lines, no dashes, no bullshit. Uh, the, uh, the Twitter are more landing pages. So like, you know, if you want to see what's, what's coming up or what's being, uh, or like, you know, articles being posted, podcasts being posted. That's where you're going to want to go is Twitter. If you want more social engagement, go to Instagram. Uh, we, we like the visual medium of Instagram more than we do Twitter. Um, so yeah, with that, thank you guys for listening again, your listenership through all of this really means a lot to us. We're glad that we can provide the content for you and we hope that you have a happy and safe Halloween, um, watching a bunch of movies that you want and, uh, hopefully enjoying the shit out of it with that guys. We'll talk to you guys next week.
I know. 